0: Well, good morning, church, and uh, it's good to be here with you uh, to worship our our Savior. And um, hey, I just want to say to our guests who are with us this morning, um, special welcome. We we thank you for coming out uh, to join us in worship. Um, My name is Pastor Troy. I would love to get a chance to get to know you after the service. Um, I'm going to do my best to just get outside as as quickly as I can afterwards. I don't always do a great job with that, but I'm going to try to... um, be out there, and I'd love if you're a guest to just get a chance to meet you. So I'll be kind of hanging out. Um, if you walk outside and hang a left, there's a big kind of square courtyard area. I'll try to be right there. Uh, so do, please, don't be shy. Come and talk to me. Uh, I would love to get a chance to, to get to know you. Um, also, I just want to say, hey, next week we have a special guest, uh, Victor Houston, who's going to be here with his family. Uh, Victor will be um, here um, Uh, in view of a call to come and serve as our our worship minister. And so he's going to be leading us in Sunday morning worship. Um, Come back next week for uh, Sunday night, uh, Rocky Family Night, right here at at 6.30, I believe. And uh, is it 6 team or 6.30? Somebody correct me here. 6, all right. Come at 6, if you would. And um, uh, we're going to just have a chance to get to know him better. And uh, Q&A with him to hear his testimony and his heart. So, um, you know, be prayerful and be looking forward to uh, next, next weekend. Finally, um, I want you to put a date on your calendar. And I, I forgot to walk up here with my bulletin. Uh, sweetheart, if you just hand me a bulletin real quick. Um, you will see inside here our missions conference coming up next month. But go ahead and mark your calendar, October 10th through the 11th. Uh, that's going to be a, a Saturday and a Sunday this year. Because of COVID, we're doing a, just a one-weekend conference. Usually we do two weekends. But the, the theme is investing in the kingdom. And you might notice this picture here. You know, we, what shows what we value is where we put our resources, right? Whether that be our time or our, our money, um, you know, our, our enthusiasm, which all those things really demonstrate our heart. And we want everybody here to invest In the kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is all about the gospel spreading to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so we've got um, uh, several of our missionary families that will be with us on Saturday morning. Um, The Wilds will be sharing a presentation on Bible translation. The the Wild Brothers are going to be talking about just this whole process of making videos for the kingdom while they're overseas. Uh, And I believe the Axelsons will be sharing about, hey, maybe you're not a church planner. Okay, but how, how can you serve with your skills, whether, whether they be um, accounting, or whether you're a cook, or whether you're a pilot, all of the way that God uses all these skills on the field. So on Saturday morning from 9 till 12, we'll be having these workshops, and I hope you'll really make it a point to come out and, and join us on Saturday morning. So go ahead, mark your calendars, October 10th and 11th. We are um, excited about the missions conference uh, coming up this, this week. Or this this year, next month, not this week. Well, let me ask you a question. Who are you more like? The cartoon character Gaston. You guys remember who that is? The guy who likes to look at the mirror and and kind of flex and just loves the uh, adulation of the crowd, right? Really obsessed with himself, okay? If you had to mark yourself on a continuum... And Gaston is a zero, and Jesus is a ten, who are you more like? Think about it now, right? Uh, On a daily basis, are you more concerned about your own success and reputation, like Gaston, and the recognition of the crowd and people's affirmation? Or are you more concerned about the Father's glory? and the good of others, like Jesus. So think about that. If you had to really give yourself a number, zero, Gaston, ten, Jesus, what would that, what would that be? You know, that the natural condition of human beings is to think too much of themselves, to think much too much about themselves. Not only braggarts, open braggarts like Gaston, but, you know, this is also true of, of those who might be more demure, and and tend to kind of put themselves down. Here's what I mean. And I, I just want to say this. I, I appreciate a little bit of, of British self-deprecation. Okay? A little bit of that can be endearing and even artful. But but too much of that, too much like self-deprecation, is, is also often evidence of, of an obsession with self because we're looking for compliments. And and to, to give you an example, my uh, as a kid, I used to love going down to Tampa and visiting my uh, mother's parents, my, my my grandfather, Pappy, old World War II flying, uh, you know, pilot hero. Um, but he he was great on a grill, and he would spend all day preparing shish kebabs. I mean, he was he made the most amazing kebabs I ever had. All right, and, and so as a as a kid, um, I'm I'm tucking into those. I mean, there's not a whole lot of conversation because we are really getting into it, and. And if if too much time went by without any comment, he would say something like, "No, I did it again. Um, I overdid the kebabs." And what he was really doing was fishing for a compliment. Right? It wasn't that he really thought he overdid it. He he knew they were good, but he was he was he was letting us know now's a good time to say no. These are great. You know, cultures tell us a lot about values. By language, right so when you say thank you in our culture we, we say you're, you're welcome and I, I think that 's actually a pretty good response you know we 're saying it's kind of a hospitality type response you, you are welcome to me, so I am you know it, it was it was good for me to do this for you uh, My favorite response though would be. The, the response you find in South Africa, which, which Chick-fil-A, by the way, um, plagiarized. They got it from the South Africans, and that is pleasure, right? Uh, th- when you say thank you to someone for, you know, a favor or whatever they've done, and you say pleasure, I think that's a very humble way of saying, hey, it was a pleasure for me to serve you. Very Christian response, right? Uh, some of our, our friends in um, Spain and and South America, in in the language of Spanish, would say, de nada, right? You say, gracias, de nada. Well, what does that mean? It's nothing. It was nothing, right? And and in a sense, I think that can be um, uh, humble as well. It's like, hey, you matter so much to me that it was was nothing for me to, to serve you. But let, let's just say you, you, know, you, you threw yourself in front of a Mack truck to, to push somebody out of the way and you saved their life and, you, and, and they say, thank you. And you're like, no, it was, no, it was nothing, right? I, I gave you my you kidney. Know, thank you for that kidney or that ah, de, de nada. It was nothing. So even that can sometimes be maybe a little bit too much self-deprecating, right? So have you ever done that? Have you ever had that attitude? You know, I, I'm just, a, I'm just a, a little worm in the house of the Lord, you know, I'm not worthy. Well, well, what do you expect the other person to say? Well, you know, no, you're not. You have, you have great value, you know. Um, that, was, that was just a lousy sermon I preached, right? What do you, what, you know, what, what are you hoping for? So, so the point is, um, if, you know, if you really want to kind of help tell and someone is, is, you know, self-deprecating a little too much, you can just say something like, yeah, that's about right and you can kind of see what see what's in the heart right so whether you're a a, you know, a, a braggadocious gaston or whether you're on the other side maybe uh, you know self-deprecating all the time looking for others to you know fishing for compliments um uh, it is natural in the human condition to to think too much or too much about ourselves well how should we think about ourselves you know the Bible tells us in our, in our text this morning that we should think soberly about ourselves. Look again at verse three of Romans chapter twelve. Paul writes, "For by the grace given to me, I, I say to everyone." By the way, that that just that introduction is a lot. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Um, there's not a verily therefore, but it, you know, Paul is really kind of this is he's saying, "Listen up, this is important." Okay, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we're we're supposed to think of ourselves with with sober judgment. What does that mean, sober judgment? Well, it means biblical judgment. Judgment. The the Bible should inform our self value. And and the Bible says, I am made in God's image. So so my life matters. So every life matters because every life is made in God's image. The Bible also says, I am a sinner. So I am no better than anybody else. I am no better than, than, than the gravest sinner or someone with a different cultural background, or different education, or a different political philosophy. I am no better than anyone else because I am a sinner. In fact, the most honest thing we can say biblically is, I am the worst sinner that I know. That's what the Bible teaches us, to have that perspective, right? Remember, love the sinner and hate your own sin. Because you can't really love the sinner and hate their sin very well. Because very quickly you're going to start despising the sinner. Right? There's there's a category. Maybe you haven't done that same thing, but categorically we have. We are totally depraved. That's what the Bible teaches. But it also teaches us that I am redeemed by Jesus. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and and rose from the dead, that means you are his child. You are redeemed by him. And so I find my strength and my purpose and my meaning in Christ. That's biblical judgment or sober judgment. Now this text says, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now that's a Maybe a little bit confusing. And it's, it's easy to mistake this to mean that sober thinking comes to each of us in proportion to the, the measure or the degree of our personal faith. Okay, and that's actually, there's some teaching out there that that's what he means. But after, after some further study on, on this um, phrase, um, the measure of faith, I think we would better understand the word metron in Greek, which is translated measure here, to to mean standard. Several old British theologians helped me out with that one. John Stott, Cranfield, some other guys. Um, So instead of reading this, the measure of faith, I think we should read this, the standard of faith. That is, the standard of our faith is Jesus. So we should think soberly about ourselves in comparison to Jesus. And, of course, that's just going to humble us, is it not? Um, Think about Jesus Christ taking the the basin and the towel. Uh, Man, do I do that metaphorically? Do I do that every day with my family, with people who disagree with me? Pastor Kent Hughes writes, Paul is not asking the believer to estimate himself according to the changing subjective feelings, but to estimate himself according to his relationship to Christ. When one sees that Christ is the standard of measurement, he will not think of himself more highly than he ought, but will rather think of himself with sober judgment. It is impossible to think more highly of ourselves than we ought if we are sound on this point. If we truly make Christ our standard, we will experience the reality of the opening beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Moreover, If Christ is our standard, the tendency to exalt ourselves by comparing ourselves with others will be curbed. Those who pride themselves because they are more gifted than another believer will cease their foolishness when they make Christ the standard of measurement. A clear focus on Christ, then, is the key to thinking rightly about ourselves and should be the goal of our spiritual practice. All of this is a call to profound humility. Philippians Chapter 2 talks about this kind of humility. Paul writes, Do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on cross so Christ's humility is to be the standard that we're to strive for in the way we live we're to be humble like that not hanging on to position or clinging to a desire to have prestige, or for people to think of us highly, but to think about what honors you, Christ, and what is best, how do I best serve others in this situation? So brothers and sisters, let us not think too highly of ourselves, or even our ideas. Now, I want to qualify this, we should think very dogmatically about the truths of the Bible, about the gospel, everyone's need for Christ. The fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's something we should be willing to die for, okay? But th- there's a lot of ideas out there, a lot of very dogmatic ideas that are very incongruent with one another right now in our culture. I mean, our, our, our country is in turmoil Right now, not only do we have an election year, which is usually um, you know pretty pretty exciting uh, with a lot of negativism, but we're dealing with COVID, we're dealing with racial justice, and there are a lot of hotly contested, dogmatic ideas, and there's there's even vitriol all over the place. So we need to beware, beware your uh, of your own. Um, dogmatic ideas. You know, if you've ever passed something along, maybe you forward something on Facebook, and and if it turns out to be fake news or something that was non-correct, the right thing for you to do is to go back and repent and apologize for that. Not just to kind of, oh well, whatever, but to say I'm sorry, I was wrong. We we need to be very, very careful um, with with our own ideas. And so if in conversation with folks, you're getting defensive, or critical, critical of other people, you need to doubt yourself a little bit because pride is probably lurking under the surface. And that, and that, that is not from the Lord. So, and I, I'm preaching to myself here, brothers and sisters, um, learn to listen to others more, to, to vent less, and, and to take things humbly to the Lord. When, when you're distressed, about something someone said or a position someone has. Take it it to the Lord instead of of having to prove that you're right and they are wrong. So we're to think soberly about ourselves with Jesus Christ and his humility as our standard. But in our text, we're also to think soberly about others. That's point two in the notes if you're following along in our listening guide. Uh, we're to think soberly about others, specifically other Christians. Do you appreciate the beautiful diversity of the church? And we we, we actually have here in in verse uh, four through five really really three points, and that is diversity, unity, and mutual dependency. So we're going to kind of look at each of these three. Uh, But I hope that you appreciate the the beautiful diversity of the church. Look at verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. You know, we Christians were not intended to all be clones of each other. We're to share in uh, uh, core beliefs, but we weren't designed or intended to be clones of one another. Each member of the body of Christ and each one of you has a beautiful history and a perspective that is uniquely your own and, and giftings. And we're going to look at those in a minute that God has given you for his glory and for the the benefit of the body and and each of these should be appreciated. I, I love to hear your stories. When, when When I get together with with you, I really love hearing your personal stories, your backgrounds, the the places that you've been, the the challenges that you've overcome through faith in Christ, even even the accomplishments and the experiences. You know, just just to scratch the surface, just to scratch the surface. We have people who, week after week, regularly sit in this room who have fought in wars and who have performed life-saving surgeries, people who have adopted special needs children, people who have lived among deep jungle tribes so they could reach them with Christ. Flown life-saving missions, authored books, written and produced movies, hiked the 2,190 miles of the Appalachian Trail, performed in rodeos. Pam Bristol, ladies and gentlemen. Did you know that? (laughs) Former barrel racer. We have folks who have fostered orphans, advised the president, tutored struggling school kids, and even, and most importantly, led people to faith in Jesus Christ in in this room. F.F. Bruce said Diversity not uniformity Is the mark of God's handiwork It is so in nature It is so in grace too And nowhere more so than in the Christian Community So so I hope In in your Christian life And walk with each other That your desire isn't for others to be more like you (laughs) Um, But but for I hope that you appreciate the, The diversity that God has made It's a beautiful thing and uh, um, and it makes us stronger. But you know, we also have unity, and I hope that you appreciate the unity of the church. We are one body in Christ. You know, many of us have mutual interests that, that bond us uh, together. Some some of you like paddleboarding, or or you know, getting outside. I, I had a chance. Friday morning with a couple brothers, I think six of us, to paddle uh, across Choctatchee Bay. We started in Destin Harbor and, and paddled to the, the Wild's House in Sharks Bite. And, you know, as soon as we arrived, uh, you know, the whole time we're exhausted. As soon as we arrived, we're all talking about... Next time, it needs to be a little harder, you know, when you start out in the, in the ocean and, you know, Henderson maybe and paddle, you know, paddle across the ocean for a few miles and then through the pass and, you know, and, and do it again all the way to Rocky Bayou or something like that. But, you know, we, we were just enjoying the fellowship of, of, of talking and, and that just mutual interest provided some bonding. Well, for some of you, that wouldn't provide any bonding. You have no interest in, in paddling across the bay. And I get that, but, but some of you are interested in other things. Some of you like to paint or draw. Uh, Some of you like to gather together and talk about essential oils and natural health treatments. Okay, that's not me, but that's some of you. And and you know what? It's a good thing to have shared interests that you enjoy talking about. But you know, none of that comes close to bonding people together like Jesus Christ. He is ultimately what bonds us together. He is the vine. We are the branches. He's the one who brings us together, so that people from totally different cultures and, and, and backgrounds can have far more in common than a group of guys that just finished a paddleboarding trip, who may or may not know the Lord. You know, I've, I've been counseling married couples who have, have gotten to a point in their marriage where they've said, you know, we don't have anything in common. And and I've said, you know, I like to shoot. She likes to cross stitch. I'm not really interested in that. She's not interested in this. We just, there's nothing for us to talk about. (laughs) And, And my response is, yes, you do. You have Christ in common. That 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 should bind that should bind you together. And and you know, Jesus prayed that we would live as we already are spiritually. And that is unified. Jesus prayed in John 17 to his Father before he went to the cross. He prayed, I I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So brothers and sisters, anything that, that you might find uh, creating some division between you and a a true brother or sister is is nothing in comparison to that which unites you. We need to remember that. We need to appreciate the the unity of the body of Christ. And then we also need to appreciate the mutual dependency of the church. He talks about, uh, in verse 5, Paul writes, we are individually members of one another so we're to live in a way that really is dependent or mutually dependent on one another remember a lone ranger christian a lone ranger is a dead ranger you cannot survive the christian life alone and and that's a concern i have right now and, and our elders have right now during this during this pandemic that has isolated a lot of people um I just want to say, especially to our friends who are, need to be home right now, and we recognize about a third of our church is is is, on, is online right now from home, uh, and we respect that. But for all of us, make sure that we don't become isolated. Don't 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 you know don't allow this pandemic to cause a a rift or division or or for you to not be involved in other people's lives, even if you got to do it via phone or or Zoom. We have the technology, or or to go to some pains to sit outside together. But we're supposed to be involved in each other's life. Uh, and, and that means not just just being together, it means opening up and, and sharing our hearts with one another. Remember that the, the, the devil loves an isolated Christian. Very, very easy to inject all kinds of false ideas. And you only need to get a couple degrees off to, to vector to San, you end up in San Francisco instead of in Seattle right? Um, the devil loves an isolated Christian, so, so we must be mutually dependent. The truth is we need each other. In First Corinthians 12, Paul continues this, this kind of example or this picture that he's painting here of a human body, and he compares us to this human body, even in our text, but he unpacks it more in First in Corinthians chapter 12, and he uses the illustration of the various body parts, demonstrating how they are mutually dependent, on one another. In verse twenty one of 1 Corinthians twelve, he writes, that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the, the head to the, the feet, I have no need of you. And you know we, we so often take uh, even members of our body, like our human body, for granted, don't we? A- until one we don't have full use of one of them, or one of them is, is injured or hurt, right? And then suddenly you realize, man, I really, my pinky is really important, right? Um, when, when suddenly it's not working right, or my thumb that maybe I took for granted. I, you know, suddenly I don't have use, you, know, you break your thumb, and your, your whole life changes. You know, I've, I've been reminded just this last week how much I miss having my brother Bart on our elder team. I mean, he's still an elder. He's just in Atlanta right now going through... A, a, a process of rehab, and, and it's gonna be a while before he's able to keep serving. And, and Bart, if you're watching, I love you, man, and I miss you. Um, he has some specific skill sets and gifts that I don't have, and, 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 and already we're just poorer without him. And so often you don't realize how much you miss somebody and how much you need them until they're not there. 1 Corinthians 12. 26 through 27 says, if, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I remember a couple years ago um, taking off on a big hiking trip with a broken toe. And, and the entire time, normally I don't really think about my big toe, right? But the entire trip I thought about my big toe more than I thought about anything else because my whole body was feeling the pain. And so, you know, in our own body life, when, when somebody is hurting, we're to weep with those who weep and we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. So let's, let's be sure to, to cover our member care list with, with our prayers and with our genuine care, like calling them up, encouraging them. Hey, is there anything you need, anything I can do for you? Um, And let's keep laboring in prayer for one another. Please, keep laboring in prayer for the Swan family. Man, it's so good to see you guys on the front row here this morning. Um, It's easy to think, well, hey, they survived. It'd be easy after four weeks to to kind of uh, let off in our prayers. But Olivia's in rehab in Destin, and Bart's in rehab in Atlanta. You know, and Wendy's just been, I mean, amazing in so many ways. God's grace coming through and giving her strength to do things that she'd never done before. And a care for a family. And, and Ryder being the man of the house now. We need to be praying for this dear family. And, and let them know. Drop them a line. Let them know you're, you're covering them in prayer. And so many others in our body right now who have needs. So I, I hope you, you bathe that member care list in, in prayer. And, and when someone is weeping, weep with them. And likewise, when somebody rejoices, um, that's you too. Rejoice. Live, you know, enjoy, live vicariously through them. And I just want to encourage all of you, live such a way in our church life, such that if suddenly you were gone, we would all really notice. I really pray that that will be true for each of you, that you live in a way in our body life, such that if you were gone for a month, we would really notice and miss you. So we're we're to think Soberly, that is to think biblically about ourselves. We're to think biblically about other Christians. That is the church and our relationship with one another. But third, in in our text here, we see Paul telling us that we should think soberly about spiritual gifts. Now we could we could do a whole series on spiritual gifts, and uh, one day I hope we'll be able to do some more teaching on that. Um, But before we look at verse six through eight. Um, I just want to make a couple points, and that is, first of all, every one of you has one or more spiritual gifts, that is, ways that the Holy Spirit has uniquely given you gifts to serve the Lord and to serve the church. But it's not just about a singular spiritual gift. I, I don't know if this has been really hot in the last couple decades because I was overseas for most of 20 years, but I can tell you 20 years ago, um, 20 years ago, it was a really hot item to know what your spiritual gift was. I don't know if that was a big deal here at Rocky or not, um, but there was you know all these inventories and tests you could do. What is your one spiritual gift? And And I remember 20 something years ago, you know, meeting people who were telling me, hey, what's your spiritual gift? Like, you know, you got to go on this quest and you're not really going to be a complete Christian until you figure out what is that one spiritual gift. And there's all this buzz about that. Well, you know, actually, I think often it's more of a package deal that God gives you, not just one gift. Here you see the word is plural gifts. Okay? Um, and so, you know, if you haven't figured out yet, okay, what, what is my strongest one? That's okay. As you walk through your life, you will discover, and and others who are close to you, this is part of humility, and listening to others can help you discover areas in which you've been gifted to serve. Not, Not for conceit or pride, but to be able to serve others. And we should do that. We should serve with contentment and grace, using our gifts to build up the body of Christ in humble mutual dependency. But I also want to say that the whole topic of spiritual gifts are not an excuse to slack off where we may not be gifted. Does that make sense? Um, Sometimes people can say, well, I'm not really gifted to serve. That's not my spiritual gift. So I'm not going to volunteer for the nursery. All right. Well, you know what? We're all called to to serve. And we're we're all called to give. And and honestly, we should all exhort. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. Every one of us at some point in our life, should exhort, even though you may not have the gift of exhortation. So this is not an exhaustive list. This is not, there, there are seven that, that Paul mentions here. Uh, this is not like the seven spiritual gifts, and there are no more. And I can tell you that uh, with certainty, because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul lists even other spiritual gifts that are not in this list, okay? So having said that, let's jump in. Uh, Romans 12, verse 6. Well, let's look at prophecy. That's an easy one, right? Um, Speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like the Old Testament prophets and like the apostles as they penned Scripture. That's often the way we think of prophecy. But but wait a minute. None of us do that, right? None of us speak utterances directly from God that are on par with Scripture. So how does prophecy relate to? to us here in this room. Well, Pastor Kent Hughes, um, I think, summed this up quite well. He said, This gift is normally the communication of revealed truth in a manner that convicts and builds up its hearers. Oftentimes, one who has this gift will have penetrating things to say about specific problems in society or life. And I would say that if God has given you this gift, gift, you really need to operate very carefully here um, uh, and be very careful not to use it for uh, selfish intention or to tear other people down, but truly to lift people up. So what does it mean here to prophesy in proportion to our faith, right? That seems kind of subjective, does it not? Well, if you have an ESV study Bible, uh, there's a note there in the bottom here that says, Paul instructs prophets to speak only when they have faith or confidence that the Holy Spirit is truly revealing something to them and not to exceed the faith that God has given them by trying to impress others. Well, that might be it. Or I I really found John Stott's um, take on this even more helpful. And he, he notes that in the original language here, Uh, The word pistis, which is the word for faith, actually has a definite article. So we should translate the phrase, in agreement with the faith, according to Stott. That is, the prophet is to make sure that his message does not in any way contradict the Christian faith. In other words, if you have this gift of prophecy, you need to be very careful that everything you say is according to the Word of God. And when someone comes up and they have something to say um, to you, that you evaluate that according to the Word of God. This is the standard. We could spend a lot of time talking about prophecy, but we don't have a lot of time. And we've got seven. So let's talk briefly about service. You know, the word here, service, is diaconia, which is where we get the word deacons. And, And there are so many areas of service in the church. And I am just very thankful for our deacon team, uh, the many who, who serve and, and the many of you who follow their lead by serving and, and caring for others and giving themselves giving yourselves wholeheartedly for this important ministry. I mean service is everything from from management of, of the campus and buildings to to caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And 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 and, and building Forming member care teams for when people are in the hospital and, and need support. Um, all of that fits under service, and it is service to Christ. Well, teaching. You know, teaching is a similar gift in some ways to prophecy, um, and, and there's some differences. Prophecy deals more with the heart and with the will, where teaching focuses more on the mind, imparting knowledge and, and you know, th- there's an urgent need worldwide for teachers. Th- this is a gift, greatly in need. There, there are many churches that 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 are you know that are really bare bones when it comes to teachers, especially on on the field. You know, you go to Africa, huge huge need in Africa for training in biblical teaching. The gospel is spread far and wide, but there's a big need for pastoral training and for teaching but even 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 here te- you know a teacher is a is a um, quite a a gift with a lot of responsibility and, and a lot of accountability um, and so Dr. Barnhouse here gives some good advice for those who would teach in the church and I have to say I was humbled when I read this this week uh, it put me on my knees he writes before you go and teach you've got to ask these questions." Have I listened to his voice? Have I laid my own reason in the dust before him in order to take it again, enlightened by him for use in my work? Have I been spiritually alert and dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Have I gone again and again to the word of God to refresh my own soul before speaking to others? Have I tried to live what I preach? Have I acknowledged my sins when the Lord showed them to me and repented of them? These are questions that the teacher must ask before we teach. Well, Paul also mentions exhorting. Uh, that's the fourth gift listed here. The, the, the Greek word perakaleo has quite a broad meaning. So if you have an ESV Bible, which, I, which I, I'm using here, um, it's translated exhorting. If, you're re- if you have an NIV Bible, Bible, you'll find that it's translated encourage. And so the NIV actually says here, if it is to encourage, that is your gift, then give in encouragement, and that is is well within the meaning of this word. So it certainly doesn't mean to go around, um, you know, popping everybody in the head, telling everybody what for. Okay, the idea here is sometimes to correct, sometimes it's to lovingly rebuke, but it's to encourage and, and to come alongside. And I think of Barnabas; his name was the son of encouragement. And, and he, he lifted up people who had lost heart. That's what it means to exhort. That's the biblical meaning uh, of the word exhort. Barnabas, you'll remember, was quick to befriend the former terrorist turned Christian, Saul of Tarsus. Everybody else was scared of him and, and, and staying apart, you know, socially distancing from him, right? And, and yet Barnabas came alongside him and said, I'll, I'll walk with you. I believe in you. I believe your testimony. One, one commentator uh, defined exhorting just simply means to come alongside and, and encourage. So when I think of the gift of exhorting, you know, I think of biblical counseling. You know, Smiths, we are so thankful that God brought you to our church. Um, not only do they invest hours every week lovingly encouraging and exhorting people who are struggling... But they have a vision, and, and God has helped br- bring this vision to our church to, to help reproduce this counseling ministry. And, and so I, I pray that this training that we're going through right now will, will help produce many biblical counselors throughout our church, and, and not just where you like, have a business card that says biblical counselor, but where you, as, as part of your life group, you are doing life with one another, and you're exhorting and, and encouraging one another uh, to follow after Jesus. Contributing is the fifth gift we see Paul list here. And that would be the the act of of giving resources, especially financial resources, to the church and and to the needy. And the the word generously, he he just says, um, the one who contributes in generosity. Well, that word uh, generously could also be translated with simplicity. You see, it strikes, that word strikes at our motivation when we give. We're not to, to give with reluctance or with pride, but we're to give with love and, and joy even, and never for show like Ananias and Sapphira, but we're to give with simplicity or, or generosity, you know, with an open hand, knowing that everything we have comes from the Lord. And, and so we're, we're to give as, as acts of worship to Him. Well, the sixth spiritual gift listed here is is leading and he tells us to lead with zeal Now we have a lot of leaders in this room right now in fact probably more of you are leaders than you may realize you homeschool moms you are leaders i mean you are you are you have a huge ministry that god has entrusted to you to help shape and and train and lead children um uh, to, to walk with the Lord. Um, big brothers and sisters, whether you re- recognize it or not, or whether you do it well or not, you too are leaders. We have military leaders in this room. And you know, leadership can be exhausting, it can be tiring, especially these days while so many are upset in our culture. And spiritual leadership can be especially draining, particularly when the folks that you're Praying for, have responsibility for their souls when they turn away. And, and like sheep, they go astray. And it can really hurt when you, when you see folks, when you, you know, when you see train wrecks. Um, when people don't take your counsel. Um, and, and when you see um, the, the, the effects of, of sin on, on folks. So we leaders need to be sure that we're not being slack or, or lazy or winging it. By that I mean depending on our own savvy instead of on the Holy Spirit for leadership. But we need to lead with zeal. And the only way I know to do this is to cling to Christ. It's to cling to Jesus. You cannot lead well for the long haul in your own strength by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's got to be by humble, dependent prayer and clinging to Jesus. So if you're a leader, and many of you are, Uh, Don't grow slack. Lead with zeal. Um, I pray that you're leading many others to the kingdom, to Jesus, to the the gates of heaven. I hope people are following you there. Well, acts of mercy. I want us to kind of land the plane here. This will be our conclusion, this very last point here. The the seventh spiritual gift. Acts of mercy. You know, I think think this gift is underappreciated. Um, um, very much so Um, but how thankful I am for the many caregivers in our church I mean I I am awed by you Um, I've been blessed with a very merciful wife who who uh, does this well but there's so many of you mothers who do this so well from from sun up till bedtime just devoting every minute of your day, really, to care for your children, and oftentimes for your, your messy husbands as well. Um, husbands, we have we do have husbands in our church who are caregivers as well, caring for their, their, their wives who are sick. We have cases in our church where husbands right now are taking care of their wives who are going through uh, therapies for cancer, or who have debilitating illnesses that, that keep them from uh, be living a normal life. And so their day, uh, is, is, is full of caring for their bride, which is really fulfilling that vow they made. You know, when I think of, there's a number of husbands that, that do this, uh, faithfully in our church. But when I I think of someone who shines, it's, it's our brother Rick Kuka. Um, Rick, who for months sat right outside his wife's window daily, um, over at the manor, wasn't allowed in because of COVID restrictions, but he sat outside and read the Bible to her every day and prayed for her every day, thinking and hoping that she could hear his voice through that window. We have families, some of you have already done this or some of you are right now or or will, uh, care for aging parents. It's not an easy task. When I think of caregivers, um, those who are called to to perform acts of mercy cheerfully, with cheerfulness. Um, That's a huge task. Caring for the ones who cared for us. Um, And as the the roles are reversed, it's a very humbling time of life. It can be very draining and and tiring and hard. Um, But it's a spiritual gift, acts of mercy. So we're called to do that even with cheerfulness. I think of our medical... Folks, We have a number of medical caregivers, uh, healthcare workers in our church who, who daily just go and do their jobs, caring for people in their most vulnerable hours, sometimes at risk to themselves. Um, do that, brothers and sisters. First of all, thank you, but continue to do that with cheerfulness. Do you know, though, that every one of us has been called to care for one another, and every one of us has been called to care for our missionaries? You know, we are called. It, it's really kind of a, a holy calling. It's a, it's, a, it's a great privilege that we've had at Rocky to send out 19 different units, different missionary families, or a few singles in there. And, and out of that, there's two, two uh, entities that we support um, doing leadership development and, and theological training on the field. But 19, and mo- most of these families were members of Rocky, sat right here where you do. And, and so one day we, we laid our hands on them and we made them a, sol- a solemn pledge that we would hold the ropes for them, that, that we would pray for them daily, that we would encourage them, that, that they would always be in our hearts. And the people that they were going to reach would be in our hearts as well, that we would labor for them in prayer. So whether you realize it or not, and some of you, I think most of you thankfully do, and have been involved at some level of, of caring for our missionaries. Every one of us has been called to be a caregiver for our sent ones. So how are you doing with that personally? You know, has has this whole COVID pandemic been difficult for you? You know, maybe maybe you've been worried about going outside and, and, and catching it, or, or even more worried to you give it to somebody else, or maybe. You've been just really frustrated with, with all the stuff going on, all the restrictions, and it's been really hard for you. Well, let me tell you, most likely it's been a whole lot harder for that missionary that you're supposed to be caring for. A whole lot harder. I mean, some of them spent months not able to leave apartments or have, have been severely uh, restricted in their ability to, 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 to care for the, the people that they're trying to reach. Or Some of them have had like, very little access to medical care because of this themselves, and have, have been at more risk than we are. So pray for them. Reach out for them. Uh, this has been a really, if this has been hard for us, it's been a lot harder for our folks who are around the world. Some of them have had to leave their countries, and that's just a great burden because they've got this calling, and, and they are still shuttered. They're not able to go back. Pray for access for them. And and one of the ways that we have set up a structure for for truly being caregivers for our, our missionaries, to make sure that, that nobody falls through the cracks as to our life groups. And I recognize that not everybody in the church is a part of a life group. And I want to encourage you, especially during this time, there, there's never been a time that we've needed life groups more, I think. Okay? I mean, we need the encouragement and the care of life groups. So if, you're, if you don't have a life group, talk to the guy in the mask over there, right? To Bill Turner, right? He, he'll, he'll help connect you. You know, come talk to me. I'll, I'll try to help you as well, okay? Um, if you're a life group leader, and you guys, have, life group has just kind of died, let me encourage you to, to get with the program now and, and lead with zeal, right? And, and serve with cheerfulness. Even if your folks can't all get together in person, you, you can get together on Zoom. And you can even get together with your missionary on Zoom, and that can be a great encouragement to them. So brothers and sisters, let's think soberly about ourselves with great humility. Let's think soberly about each other with great appreciation, right? And let's think soberly about our spiritual gifts with gratitude to the Lord and, and using them for the edification of the body and for the glory of His name. Let's, let's pray. And as I pray, I'd like to invite um, my brothers who are going to serve us communion to uh, come forward, and, and following this prayer, we'll, we'll uh, have just a little bit of time of, of, um, of actually I said brother serving communion, um, I forgot, uh, COVID, we're using these little things, if you haven't grabbed one of these on your way in, um, these, I, I like to say these things represent the elements, because it's, I guess it's juice, but it's partly really a, a bread, but they represent the elements, which represent the body and blood of Jesus, okay, um, you, you, feel free to, to grab one of these. We, we, if, if you want to put your hands in the air, we'll get one to you. There, there's, there's some at tables right outside um, in, the, in, the, in the foyer as well as over here. So feel free to slip out and, and grab a couple if you didn't get one on the way in. But we're going to have a time of communion. And so now as we pray and we're going to have a little bit of, of music for a few minutes, this is a time just to search your heart and to, um, to ask the Lord, hey, is there any, any unconfessed sin? You know, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe there's been some pride in your life that you need to confess. Um, Or anything else that would separate you uh, relationally from Christ, from God. Now's the time just to confess that, knowing that um, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who who gave himself as a ransom for us and who showed us how to live um, and and who right now even intercedes and prays for us. Lord, I I pray that you would help us to walk um, in humility, to to see ourselves in light of the cross, and to treat each other as um, brothers and sisters, uh, children of the King. Lord, to to serve one another with the gifts that you've given us and, and to not use them for our own glory. Lord, I, I pray that if there's anyone here in this room that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that, that they would uh, bow before the cross and, and trust in Jesus. And uh, Lord, I pray that you be honored in this time of communion. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.